Hi, my name is Jamie Lynch, and you are listening to Eating Habits, my podcast about everything restaurants. I will explore the human element of the hospitality business, and I'll talk to the who's who in restaurants, explore their stories, and hear what's on their minds in the ever-changing landscape of the food and beverage industry. Hello, listeners. On this week's episode, I catch up with Tommy Wheeler from Tidewater Grain Company up in Oriental, North Carolina. These guys hosted us for the chef field trip a couple weeks ago, um, ran us through their rice growing operation, milling, drying, distribution, all that good stuff. Um, And I thought it would be great to get him on the show to talk to you all about the process and how it all came to be. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. This is Tommy Wheeler from Tidewater Grain down in beautiful Oriental, North Carolina, and you are listening to Eating Habits Podcast with my man, Chef Jamie Lynch. Thanks, Tommy. That was a great... Hey, man, can I get you to do these for me like all the time? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to get this voiceover gig if I can, you know, but the Southern drawl just kills me. I love it. I love it. It, it kind of it, it puts a little bit of place to my podcast. You're like, where is he recording from? Right. No, that's exactly we are in the right. South. I'm actually that's south right. of you right now in okay, Charlotte. Yeah. I'm recording from Charlotte. Yes. All right. Well, Charlotte, the Queen City, as they say. Mm-hmm. Charlotte's been very good to us with Tidewater. We owe a lot of our uh, success, frankly, to the greater Charlotteans. Yeah. We got a lot. You got a lot of support from uh, from our chef community here, man. Everybody down here loves your loves your stuff, including myself. Well, thank you, thank you, chef. Well, we, listen, uh, th- thank thank you for inviting us and hosting us for this chef's weekend. So I did I did a podcast. Um, I think last yep. week I was just kind of like bullshitting, kind of telling people what we were doing and all that. Yep. And then our friend Heidi Bellotto hit me up and yep. was like, "Hey, chef, your facts are all." You're, you're all jumbled up, man. <laughs> like we got to get, we got to get Tommy on there to clear the air. And I was like, oh, we can't let, we can't let the facts get in the way of a good story. That's right. Know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I told her. I was like, Heidi, chill out. It's okay. We'll it doesn't Tommy even matter. In the grand yeah. scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, thank you for that, man. I had such a blast up there. I had, I had a great time seeing the operation it was awesome. Um, and I want to share that with my listeners. So we love every opportunity we can get to, uh, to educate and entertain and expose what we're doing, especially to North Carolinians. It's, it's something that we take, we take great pride in. And I think we're pretty darn good at it. You Defi- know, you're really definitely good at telling a story and entertaining. That's for sure. There's no question. And actually you guys put on a pretty good, shindig too like your little cookout action is strong you guys have a yeah strong- you know it's uh, you know i've i've uh, you know a lot of chefs you know because chefs are pretty uh pretty sure of themselves you know yeah, what i mean yeah we have are, we have big egos y'all got some egos and y'all you know that's why y'all get referred to as chef so and so and chef so and so you know and it's like we we constantly it's kind of like a uh uh, you know, a high school dispute that it's like, Hey, you know, come take, come take us on. We, we want to cook against you. We want to do a, uh, beat Tidewater grain series. We should do that. But the caveat is that we get to choose the equipment you have to use. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to so- let any fancy stuff come in. Right. And we get to choose the base ingredients. Challenge accepted. We- I don't know. Yeah, if, I don't I know. If you, like- I, don't, I don't know if you know this about me, but I was on top chef twice. 
Okay, but so, you know, so those Bobby challenges have anything on beat Chuck Hall when we can get you on as an as an away game. You know what I mean? If we can I'm get into you it. in our kitchen, we got a shot. I'm into it, man. That'll be fun. Um, all right, cool. So tell me the story, man. Like, first of all, the intro story about why you guys are doing this is right. fascinating, and I think people are going to really connect with. It. So tell us that, and then I want to talk about like why this rice why the carolina gold is so important to you guys and all because i think that that's really important to share that yeah yeah that's great well thank thank you for the setup you yeah, know man. so for us rice farming kind of came by accident if we're just we're just honest right yep. that we uh we were a bunch of childhood friends knuckleheads i like to say mm -hmm. and uh really had reconnected in our twenties, you know, had kind of put the band back together. Right. Oh, yeah. I love everybody the had, band get getting the band. Yeah, together you know, story. everybody had gone their separate ways. Some had gone to school, some had moved off all this stuff. And we had a real opportunity to put the band back together. And we did it under the auspices of fishing on the coast and duck hunting along the coast. Right. It gave us a convenient reason, you know, cause if you take those two things out, we're just idiots that drink too much on the weekends. Right. <laughs> right. And <laughs> so you gotta but, make some but, sense of all of this. Right. But if you're holding a fishing pole, well, no, no, this is a fishing trip, you know, or this is a, this is a, you know, a hunting gathering. We're going to go shoot ducks in the morning and get up real early, you know? And uh, so, so it kind of uh, substantiated, uh, <laughs> our boondoggles and our, uh, as we like to call it, our domestic abandonment, right? As we, were leaving, as we were leaving our uh, our homes and our kids and our wives, you know, it kind of gave us a reason to gather. And so, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, it, it became a deal where we wanted something more than just a weekend gathering. Uh, we wanted something more. For me personally, I, you know, I was very involved with NASCAR and it was an opportunity for me to, to give me something on plane rides to think about. So I really got heavily involved in the agriculture down in Eastern North Carolina, frankly, as a place to spend some money and invest for the future and to start to create a legacy, something that was going to last beyond me on this earth. Mm -hmm. Became super important to me and my family um, I didn't want to be, I call it an insurance dad, where when I died, the kids said, well, okay, how much insurance money do we have? And that is the whole sum of my existence. Right. Yep. I wanted Good. it to be where it was like, wow, look at this, you know, this timberland, look at this ground, look at this farmland, look at this enterprise that we've built. Mm -hmm. uh, and that became really important to me and became important to all of my best friends that are actively involved with me with the Tidewater Grain family, because that's mm -hmm. what it is. And uh, so, but this was well before that. So we, we really were looking, we were, we had started us a hunt club and, you know, we were having our kids involved, taking our kids and sons and daughters with us. And it was starting to grow uh, whether we wanted it to or not, because the kids were getting older I gotcha. and we needed more land. We needed more stuff. We needed more things. And it's a little tough to, uh, con, you know, go to your 13 year old son and say, Hey man, I need a couple thousand bucks from you for uh hunt dues. Yeah. You know, that's like, that's like four lifetimes of, uh, allowances, you know what I mean? Right. So, so that one became kind of a tough ask for us. So we were trying to come up with some ways to, to, to get creative and how do we do this? Because the last thing we want to do is to continue to increase the spend on everybody, because then you start tailoring 
who can actually be in the club based on dollars, not based on who you actually want to hang out with. Right. Right. Yep, it yep. becomes, it becomes an exclusive, a like, yeah. Yeah. Suddenly. And there's no disrespect meant to people that are, that are born into a different socioeconomic cast than we are, but sure. I really wanted, I wanted our club to be based on camaraderie and common interest more than bank accounts. Yeah, that's great. Right? Yep. And uh, so that was really the premise of the whole thing. The kernel of it, the seed of it was that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, fortunately we, you know, we have Al Sproul in our, in our club and Al is a fifth generation farmer. And so we were really trying to find ways to cut costs because at the time, you know, we were just corn farmers for ducks and commodity farming for, for profit, frankly, and, and as a revenue stream. Mm -hmm. And hey, we were getting our ass kicked trying to farm on Eastern North Carolina because of hurricanes and storms and yeah. droughts and floods and just deer pressure and the list goes on. Just really yeah. getting our, our ass kicked out there in Hortonsville where we where we farm and live. And then the crop prices, we could see this coming. You know, it was already $500 an acre to grow an acre of corn, our cost. Yeah, And it was only going to be increasing, right? Mm -hmm. So it really became, okay, we need to find a different crop or a different way to subsidize this to make this work long-term. At the same time, we were taking these boondoggles, as our wife call, our wives <laughs> call them, where we would go in the middle of December, we would go somewhere every year different to chase ducks and waterfowl and stuff all across the country. And so we've been everywhere from Utah to Louisiana to Arkansas's Missouri's and you know Louisiana's everywhere in between and um and we really started noticing that a lot of the places we were visiting primarily were using rice fields as where we were hunting gotcha and so we started you know and that was always part of this church this journey for us was every time we would go out of town we would try to learn about well how are they farming differently than we are is there something we can borrow from is something we can learn from no different than you when you go into another restaurant. You always yeah. notice some super, super subtlety that the average person won't see. Yep. Um, and that was really the case for us. And we started noticing this rice culture and how they were doing it. And so I got all, got the bit in my teeth, as they say, and got all fired up that we were going to go rice farming. I came back and said, Al, we're going to go rice farming and here's the plan and we're going we're gonna to do this. This is all right. Well, that's great. Let's lay out what it's going to take to make this happen. So we lay out this whole complicated spreadsheet and came up with, it was going to cost us like $800 an acre. And he's like, Hey, jackass, you know, we're already spending five. This is, this is a terrible idea. How's, how's this going to work? You're right. And I was like, yeah, okay. So this is a bad idea. But at the same time of doing this whole background, I really started discovering our community. Our area was growing rice historically. Yes. And that certainly got my interest peaked because a big goal of ours is putting back together some of the old historical farms, notably the Silverthorne family farm, okay. uh, which is where our farm and our farmhouse is set on. We are actually, our farmhouse that you visited is actually the JC Silverthorne homestead mm. uh, was right there. We've obviously modified and added on, but uh, uh, that is the, the, the pillar of that entire farming area on the Hortonsville Peninsula is that home that was built in December of 1954. So wow. us having that historical tie and wanting to 
put these old farms back together and then discovering that our community was active in the, the rice farming culture, suddenly the story started making a lot more sense to us from that side. Like it, it started to appeal to us emotionally more than it did financially, right? Yeah. That it was kind of like the, the stars were starting to align and this was going to make sense. We then figured out that the, a key component we were missing, which was, hey, yes, $800 an acre, and now it's more than that, but $800 an acre at the time to grow rice, but we're going to sell that rice. And then we're going to recoup that money. And then what's left over, this ratoon crop, this volunteer crop, is what the ducks and the deer and the wildlife get to eat. And it's like, oh, wow, okay, well, why didn't you say that at the beginning? Because, uh, you know, we were terrified that we were going to go even more broke. So literally <laughs> when we... When we, when we first grew our first crop of Carolina gold rice, the entire business goal, the entire business structure was to lose less than $500 an acre. Did you that guys succeed? Did you succeed that first year? I know. No, the first year I got, I, I definitely lost more than $500 an acre. I got my ass kicked. But we could see, Al and I could see the connection with the community we could see the connection with what we were trying to do in a thirty thousand foot view and we could see that with some modifications and us getting smarter that we could actually break even mm-hmm. was the, like was like the characters in front of us like holy cow we can yeah. maybe break even and that would allow us to have more acreage and more opportunity for our kids and, and everybody that's coming along the thought of making money was i mean it was a fantasy you know, right. it was an absolute fantasy. And I'm pleased to say that, you know, we are actually making money now. And that's that's been amazing to see how we've been able to turn an idea into losing a lot of money to not losing a lot of money to actually making some money. And the prospect of us having something that's sustainable long term is just amazing to even imagine. Yeah, that's that's awesome. How much of that equation right, of getting to a point where you guys are making a little money is just stubbornness to not fail and to make it work so that you can hunt to, you know, the ingenuity, kind of figuring it out, learn the process of learning and and getting help from others. And did you get help from others? And three, the support from either the community chefs or whatever, like what, how does that kind of balance out that equation? I think you, I think you summed it up perfectly. I think all of it leans on each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, you take out one piece of that, you know, farmers, farmers are just like any other business owner, except they're just too dumb to give up. (laughs) Right. I gave up. Right. I actually just too, too dumb to give up is really farmer deal. My fiance and I had, um, a six acre organic vegetable farm for about two and a half years. That was in operation. We were growing for the restaurants man, I learned more in that kind of two years than, than I, man, it was, that is hard stuff. And, and I had a lot of respect for farmers before because just by nature, my, you know, um, proximity to them and what I do and stuff, but man, doing it myself and, and going through that process, I was like, these guys are like fucking superheroes for (laughs) putting food on the table. It, you know, so you got, you know, understand Al's background. Fortunately, you know, he's, again, fifth generation farmer, graduated with an engineering degree from North Carolina State. I've got a degree in physics from Davidson. 
you know, everybody in our group has been trained and has some smarts that they bring to the table. And, you know, we've got a professional engineer that's in our hunt club that owns two general contracting firms. So like on the surface, you're like, well, you got all the skills to make this happen. And yet we are still just yeah. winging. Right. We are, we are having to figure this out as we go. The, the knowledge, the knowledge to do things is a, such a small part of it. The yes. actual success. Yes. Of it, right. Um, and you know, it's been really probably one of the bigger challenges for me, again, coming from a motorsports background, no different than you with being in the shit in the, in the kitchen is if it doesn't work tonight for one reason or another, well, let's change something for tomorrow. Let's right. tweak this formula a little bit. So yeah. your, your, des, your design fail loop is very quick. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. I design, I fail, yep. I learn, yep. design, redo. fail, learn, yep. design, fail, learn, redo, yep. redo, redo. Yep. And then eventually you get this, this stuff figured out, or, uh, you just move on to something else because you've explored <laughs> gone all the way to the end. Right. Yep. And with farming, you know, it is a slow process. Yeah. It teaches you a lot of patience. Oh man. And, uh, because it is a one year turn. Yeah. Right. You only get one crop a year. Um, and so you put so much emphasis into uh, and so much overthinking, trying to do the very best that you know how to do, because you know that you're not going to get another shot next week. It's next year. Right. And that has really been hard on my soul because I'm used to a much tighter turn than that. Right. I'm used to failing more often. Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten really good at failing. All this waiting I'm around really is not my. Not I'm really strength. good at it, but damn, you know, the farming, man, when you fail, you fail big, as yeah. you know, you yeah. know, you fail big. And so that's been really difficult, you know, and, and another thing that's been a super huge challenge is we are on our own. Mm -hmm. uh, there is, there is no playbook. There is nobody to call. Right. You know, we, fortunately, we do have a little bit of support within the Carolina gold community. Uh, we've kind of a band of brothers that will share some notes with my, my, our, uh, some of our friends that we've created down in South Carolina that are growing some crops down there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we share notes and share our horror stories and cry on each other's shoulders and things like that, but <laughs> you know, manly stuff like that, you know what yeah, I mean? Right. Full, full butt out embrace as we hug and talk about how tough it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, that's been probably the most, that's been the most challenging. And it's also been the most rewarding. Yeah. That sure. you really, Al and I get a super big kick when we ride around and are like, this would not have happened had we not just gone for it. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. as you know, in business, sometimes in business, you can know too much. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. And it's the old saying, if I knew then what I know now, I'd be twice as smart or whatever the case may be, twice as rich, whatever it may be. Right. You know, it's typically the case, and it's certainly the case for us, if you knew then what you know now, you never would have done it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just wouldn't have done it. Yeah. You know, because sure. you know, once you get so deep in, hell, when you're, when you're in hell, when there's no way out, you got to find a way to get deeper in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Saying? Yeah. It's just... <laughs> You got to find a way to endure it. <laughs> yeah, you just keep digging. Yeah. If you're at the, you think you're at the bottom of a hole, keep digging and maybe yeah. there'll yeah. build some steps or something to get out. That's the only way, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so for us, you know, that's how you end up with having to control your own seed security. That's how you end up having to get your own mill. And I mean, that's how you end up for us. And I'm, I'm really proud of it that we are completely vertically integrated. Yeah. 
you know, I was super, I was, catch, right? that was one of the, so, you know, I really loved the operation. I learned a ton about, you know, the process, right? right. Driving through your fields and seeing, like, I can totally see, you know, why that that's would be an amazing hunting ground too. Like just, it's such a beautiful right. spot, right? I think we saw some wild turkeys flying around out there too. Oh, yeah, we did. Just, just I was like, I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, you guys got off the, the four wheelers. We're like, you guys see those turkeys? Like, <laughs> That's awesome. Well, people well, like that excitement. You know what I mean? We still get yeah. just as excited. Yeah. You know, we see that stuff all the time, and we get just stoked every time we see it because yeah. that means the whole thing it's is working. working. Yeah, it's working. That's awesome. So that was beautiful, but, like, what really I was impressed by is how you guys control the entire system, right? Everything from – from the fields to growing the crops to the harvesting. And then, you know, the, the way you guys dry it, which we'll talk about that process a little bit too, sure. like up the road and then got the whole mill thing working, which, you know, seeing that thing go, I was like, man, this looks like a pain in the ass right here. <laughs> like what these guys are doing. It can be awful or it can be beautiful. Yeah. There's no in between. Yeah. So luckily we got to see a little bit of both on our visit. You got to see some of the pain and you got to see us, you got to see the true life just fight through it. Just keep yeah, going man. and you'll finally, yeah. you know, you keep spinning those plates. You'll finally get it figured out. Yeah. I'm going to actually attach. I got some really great video um, that my team put together from all that stuff. So, oh, and we'll perfect. attach it to this episode so that it's like oh, people can fantastic. see all that. Yeah, yeah, super great. To see the sugar and the shit, as I like to say. <laughs> yeah, and I still have a couple <laughs> bags of rice, so I'm enjoying some of the sugar of it. Great, great, great. <laughs> so that was like really fascinating to see that, and I was really impressed that you guys are, you know, that's that is commitment to it, right? Is like full control of the product to ensure, yeah. like, why is that so important to you guys to control? Well, primarily, it? well, I think it's two folds. I think it's you got 50, 50, 50 right? You got logistics. And you've got quality, uh -huh. right? Yep. Notice none of that had dollars involved. Right. I would gladly outsource all of this. Right. And only do what we're good at, which is growing the crops, right? Right. I would outsource everything if I felt that I could and maintain the logistical control and maintain the quality control, um, neither of which you really can do. So you really have no choice but to get into the business, if you're going to be here for the long haul, if you're doing it as a hobby and you're trying to grow five acres, you're trying to do this, that's a different deal. Right. Right. But if you're like, no, I'm trying to build us an empire. I'm trying to build us something that will go on for generations to come. And really it's beyond reintroduce it to North Carolina. It's re-ingrain it in North yeah. Carolina. I like that. That's a right. good, we need some shirt. You got shirts to say that? Yeah. You know, I should, right. We just came up with it. I'll, I'll, as said on, yeah. you know, eating, eating habits. habits podcast. Yeah. That's e right. You we got to re-ingrain it. Uh, we got to re-ingrain it in yeah. North Carolina. That is yeah. what we're really setting out to do. And so this is going to be something that goes on way beyond us. And so in doing that, it's like, if you look at it through that lens, you have no choice mm -hmm. because you can't allow a subcontractor or a fuel prices. We're talking about fuel, right? We can't allow right. transport costs of us shipping our stuff to somewhere else to become a factor of how much a plate of rice is going to cost in one of your restaurants, right? Right. Yeah. People will only, people will only spend so much on, on rice. Yeah, that's right. And, and so we've got to keep, 
we're trying to keep as much non-value added cost out of it as we can, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, because it's expensive to grow already. Yeah. Because our yields and and all that are so poor that it's you know it's just a a mathematics game. You know, yep. the, the x number of pounds, x number of dollars. You'd want to try to make a little bit of money so that you can live to fight again next year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's largely fixed. The amount of variable cost that we can even control is very very small. So mm-hmm. the things that we can control, the variables in the solution and the mathematics of it, we really try to not only control, but dominate. Yep. An entirely yep. and, uh, and set it up for a long-term investment, which is what you've got to see. And the, the future is really bright for us because of those steps. And that's really what Al and I are hoping is that when we're dead and gone, that, that our kids and our grandkids and everybody looks back and says, man, you know, this was really ballsy what these idiots did at that time (laughs) but thank god they did because now our families are making a living off of this and who knows what offshoots it creates you you know it's it's a it's it has potential to be generational changing and formative for for everybody involved yeah i think one of those value added things that you can add obviously to your operation is you know re-ingraining rice into North Carolina, because I don't think there's a whole lot of rice growing. There's not much. There's some small, we call them rabbit patches. There's some small stuff. The Asiatic community has been trying to revive some upland rice patches and some super small home patties, let's call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nobody's putting a combine into a field like we are. Right. I mean, just think of it that way. Nobody is doing it. Nobody's yeah. dropping a, you know, a three-quarter million dollar piece of equipment into a field and saying, we're going to go cut some yeah you know cut this one acre of rice that's not happening (laughs) cut this grass down which which blew my mind i was thinking about that the whole time while we were standing in the fields you know and and they were all flooded at the time right Right. they were all growing and flooded and i'm thinking to myself i'm like i'm picturing al drive this combine down in there and i'm like do you have a video of that i gotta see that i gotta see that in action (laughs) it is a massive circus i mean (laughs) It, it's super intimidating to people, mm-hmm. Jamie. It, it, it freaks them out. Like a lot of people, like we have to preface it. Like if you said, hey, man, I want to come see this harvest. Like we sit you down. We're yeah, like, say, okay. It's let's not, go over like, a few things. Yeah. Do you <laughs> like the circus? <laughs> right. Like you need to be super confident in your own psyche because we are going to be screaming at the top of our lungs because it's very loud. It's yeah. very hot. And the, and the implications, if we're wrong, is you probably die. Or at the <laughs> minimum, you lose an arm. Yeah, right. Right. And, like and then, or, or this giant machine or like. Just runs like, you over. Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> it, it really intimidates people because Al and I, the benefit of having, you know, these best friends in the world is you don't, you don't sugarcoat anything. It's like right. yeah, how yeah. a chef and a sous chef relationship is, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There is no, there's no wind yeah. up about. Well, you see, Jamie, you know, when yeah, you no. try this a different way. It's like straight it's to like, the, yeah. It is. <laughs> look here, you know nothing, SOB. <laughs> and it gets very PG-13 in a hurry, Yeah, you know. But it's fun, right? It's it's yeah. just, it's wild. Yeah. And uh, if you mess around, you know, we'll probably put you driving a grain truck or something. You know, it's uh, <laughs> any person that's standing there, we look at them and say, yeah, they'll fit in the truck. Let's put them in there. <laughs> How's your, you, you got a license? <laughs> go for it yeah basically so 
So um, why? So for us, you know, we have to drain the field. So right now, let's talk about what's going on in the farm. That's probably yeah. as good as anything. So we plant it dry. You know, the whole process, we do our own seed growing. Mm-hmm. We then plant it dry. We didn't make sure we got some fertilization and nutrition and all that stuff that has to happen farming-wise. We then flood you, you, you do that before. So you do that. We do that before, and yeah. we do it after it's planted. We we kind of split some of our – we have some different agricultural tricks we've learned that we – Rice doesn't take up nitrogen and nutrition very quickly. Mm. Um, we've kind of learned we got to spread that out a little bit. Yep. So we kind of split some of that up. And then we flood it about Memorial Day, just when it's yay tall. You know yep. what I mean? 18 inches tall. We It's a little more scientific than that, but that's just the <laughs> easiest way to describe it. When it's, you know, shin height, we, you know, we try to get some water on it. And uh, then we start flooding. You know, we have three sources of water on our farm. We have two big wells, one really big well, one good size well. You know, one's like big. What, what, what is, what's a really big well for people? Like a 12 inch well, close to a thousand gallons a minute, like municipality stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, like I mean? geysers of water. Yeah. Like, yeah. Thing. I mean, yeah. Like something you would see in Texas. I mean, yeah, if it was to yeah, go up, you know what right, I mean? Yeah. So it's massive. And then we have a good size well, which is about 300 gallons a minute. And to put it in perspective, a really good home is about 40 gallons a minute. Yeah. So these are just, so yeah, these are big, real you know deal. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Real deal. And then we have the thing that we're probably the most proud of is we have a canal pump system where we pull from, up to a thousand acres really of a watershed where we recycle water. Uh, mm-hmm. So any rainwater, any runoff that would happen to come out of our agricultural fields, all of that is captured in a basin system. And then we recycle that water and put it back on the fields. Two, it does a number of things. One, it's a cheap way to get water, mm-hmm. right? First and foremost. Secondly, you know, we spent a lot of money. There's been lots of talk about input costs and nitrogen and fertilizers, yeah. and pesticides and how expensive all that stuff is. The last thing we want to do is not get that return out of that. Right. So we want to put it back onto the fields and get all that value we can out of that investment. Mm-hmm. And then most, you know, the third thing that it does for us is it prevents it from getting into our primary watersheds. Because as you saw when you down there, down there at the farm, you know, we are literally separated salt water and fresh water by a two-inch board. Yeah. Scary. That's the difference. Right. It's scary and, and, and the salt water will kill off all the rice, right? Instantly. It'll kill yeah. it instantly. And then for us, if we were, the reverse is also true. If we were to turn our fertilizer rich water loose, then now yeah. we're going to be killing off the stuff that's going on, the good things in salt water. Right. The fish or like the fish and the crabs and the oysters yeah. and all that runoff. Yeah. That's not a good situation either. So right. they need to both they need to both mutually exist without cohabitating, mm-hmm. even though we're only separating it by about a two inch piece of lumber <laughs> and some sawdust, apparently, and some sawdust that's yeah. vital. Yeah, without like... sawdust, you 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 can't do it. Yeah, which is crazy. <laughs> it is. It is. It's, yeah. it, at the end of the day, it always comes down to like the five cent part, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah, or or just like the throwaway part that you find. Yeah, like a it's bunch of mud and sawdust is keeping this thing you don't together. have the wash your hands sign in the bathroom, right? Yeah. It closes the place down or something. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. All right. So you got your 
So you got so you recapture that water. So that recaptures yep. the nutrients and stuff, all the inputs that you put in That's there, right. and you can you can recycle you that it right back on there. And we do that, and we keep we'll stay flooded until about early August, give or mm -hmm. take. Then you know we'll start to look at pulling water off. We'll drain the water. We capture water samples at that point. Think like a huge sediment pond. We have mm -hmm. now pulled every good parts out of the water that we've got, and then we'll turn that water loose. And then within about from the time we've drained it to the time we'll be combining it is about a week, a week and a half. It's really quick. The stuff dries really quick because the rice is actually pulling water out of the soil for us. Oh, gotcha. Playing that curve of the rice now drying down. It's still trying to like fighting for dear life, like it's right. being you know, starved. And it'll pull as much groundwater out as we can. And then we get in there and we harvest it. And then we dry it we have mm -hmm. to dry it barely very delicately that's one of the real tricks of it is how to dry this grain without fissuring or cracking the grain inside the hole right is really important and then we will then take it to our mill and we will mill it removing the hole which then creates brown rice mm -hmm. and then if necessary if we're wanting white rice we will then mechanically polish that brown rice between a stone and a series of rubber blocks where we remove that bran and then we will create white rice. Mm -hmm. um, we then take that product, uh, we stabilize it to make sure that no biological threats, you know, bugs or anything have, have happened. We make sure we stabilize that product and then we bring it back to north of Charlotte mm -hmm. here in Rowan County, up in Kannapolis. We, we package and distribute out of here and it works really well for us. A, like I said, the proximity to the interstates. Yep. <laughs> and uh, and also it's it's a good idea to not have um, our finished product and our unfinished product in the same spot from a from a risk standpoint. We you know we kind of got to be careful there um, because once we remove the hole and once we do all the polishing and all that, the grain is. I mean, the next stop is your pot. You mm -hmm. know, it's that's the next stop. And so we've get, we get we take that very very seriously uh, from a food safety standpoint to make sure that that we keep everything separate and clean and like it needs to be. Yeah. And right now, you guys to um to stabilize your product. Now you guys are using that giant freezer, right? You have that big we freeze it. Yep. We don't we don't use gas or any phosphine gas or anything like that. Yep. We have found uh, that freezing is really effective. You know, so we have that freezer at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. And we are constantly running big bulk bags, 2,000 pound bags of rice in and out of this freezer to make sure that it's completely stable, that there's nothing from a bugs or anything that's kind of could affect us. Just nothing can stand to zero degrees, including yeah. people. It yeah. about takes your breath when you go in there to move a bag around. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the story because I think that's one of the value added parts of this, right? Yeah. One thing is that you guys control, you guys control it. So you're, you're ensuring the quality of the, the product. It's all in state. Everything's being controlled. Like it's all local community agriculture, right? That's a huge right. sell these days. I mean, people are all about that. I'm all about it. Right. You know, I like getting, I like getting my products from, from the people that we know the money's going to the communities that, you know, that are around us. I think that's super important. But what about the story of rice, the historical value of that to bringing it back? Like how, what's up with that? And why is that important? 
It's it's really important. I mean, you know, our community, you know, rice, you know, the story of Carolina gold rice. Uh, sorry, my Irish setter wanted to join us here on our deal. This we is, are we are pet friendly. That hey, is bud. Walter. Walter, what's up, bud? Walter, <laughs> he likes to be referred to as Big Red or Walter for okay. Mr. January because he was a, he was in a January photo shoot. Oh, for like setters. He's the oh, most nice. famous wheeler that we have. So we call him Mr. January. If he is gets he, really he, arrogant. Is he one of the hunting dogs or is he just like a family pet? Oh no. Oh no. He lives the life of luxury. See? Oh yeah. He's just living his best dog life That's for it. sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh we do have hunting dogs, but uh Walter, he's just a international man of leisure at this yeah. point. I'm just holding down the fort. It's his job. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Somebody's <laughs> got to be management. He's already claimed that job. <laughs> so for us, you know, the story, you know, rice, first and foremost, we would not have rice, presumably, uh, and factually, we would not have rice in the Americas had it not been for a mishap of a slave ship coming into the Charleston Harbor. Mm-hmm. Right. Number one, first and foremost, came from Madagascar. Uh, the story's been kind of chronicled very, very accurately and well over time mm-hmm. uh, by, by the likes of Dr. David Shields and the folks from the Carolina Gold Foundation have done mm-hmm. a great job at making sure that the facts kind of came out of this. You know, and then the Rice Kingdom, basically Rice came into the Charleston Harbor and spread north and south like a plague, came, you know, went, spread all the way to Tidewater, Virginia, came all the way south down to Augusta, Georgia. Anything east of I-95 was pretty much rice country because it was so low and so mucky, the soil, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of ways, rice is considered a crop of last resort, right? When you can't grow anything else, throw some rice on it, yeah. you know, see, because see if that'll go. Survive. Yeah. See if that'll go. If you can't drain it to get soybeans or corn to go, let's throw some rice out there and see what happens. And largely, that's ultimately, fast forward in some years, that's why rice has been so prolific in Arkansas, Missouri, Louisiana, places like that. Hmm. Super low lying. Yeah. Super low lying, prone to flood, prone to lots of run, you know, river rivers coming out of the banks and things Mm -hmm. of that nature is, is kind of why that's gone down the way it has, you know, but so that the crop, you know, really became the king in the low country, all the way in North and South Carolina. And keeping in mind at that time, it was just the Carolinas. It wasn't a North or South. It was just the Carolinas. Right. It was all the same general area. And that was really the king up until around 1910 when, you know, you had the, you know, emancipation of slaves. That's fundamentally uh, what ended it. And it, and it, you know, the labor certainly was, was a massive blow to the industry, the loss of the labor but really more importantly was the smarts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that the, the actual people that knew how to grow the rice were the slaves. They yeah. were the ones that knew the details, all the little things that Al and I are trying to recreate and learn. They had generations of knowledge about that. Right. You know, there would be nothing that we would like more than to be able to bring them forward into some time warp portal and say, Hey, walk us through yeah. Yeah. Show what us your the ancestors way. would do. Yeah. Show us the way, show <laughs> us how, what we're doing wrong. Show us what, uh, what we could do to improve this. Obviously that's not an option. And, uh, a lot of that unfortunately was lost and, and, and we're trying to recreate it as best we can, frankly, through some historical texts, really reading 
you know, old books of, you know, that people have gone and interviewed what their grandparents had said, their great grandparents. And we're trying to learn as much as we can uh, through that way. And, and so with that in our community, you know, that's, that's the really the authentic nature of what we're trying to do is so, trying to be genuine in our effort mm-hmm. to bring back a concerted effort to re-ingrain Carolina gold rice and rice farming in general in North Carolina and to do it as close as we can to how it originally was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think it's just like a, sh- a chef at home, a home cook versus a chef that's at uh, one of your restaurants, right? The starting point matters. Yep. From the first time you put water in the pot, that starting point matters. Whereas the home chef probably says, okay, I need to have three cups of water. Well, maybe it's 3.1 they put in. Mm-hmm. Oh, that doesn't matter, right? Oh, I need to put a tablespoon of salt in. Well, I'm a little under that. That'll be okay. That's close mm-hmm. enough, right? And so you have all of these baby compromises that occur mm-hmm. all the way along with the premise of that probably doesn't matter, right? Right. The pros and what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, no, 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 all of those things matter. Right. They have a cumulative effect. They have a cumulative effect on the product that ultimately comes out of the meal into that bag of rice. Mm-hmm. That if we want to do be genuine to how uh, that true rice came here in the in in the colonial times, we're trying to grow it on the same ground mm-hmm. with the same climate, right? Yep. And presumably the same water. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and trying to do the best job we can to make it as genuine of a product as we can. And we're taking that approach of that every one of those details matter instead of taking the approach of, ah, it probably doesn't matter. If right. we took the approach of it probably didn't matter, we'd be growing it in North of Charlotte because that's right. more convenient. Right. Yeah, you, hurricane. We're not going to get wiped out of, by that. You'd be that's doing right. some sort It'd of be, commodity thing or something. Yeah, that's right. We'd be doing it a different way. And instead, we've taken the approach of the easy way is not the best way. Hardly, almost hardly, hardly, hardly ever, ever is it. Are those the easy way and the best way the same thing? That's right. called a unicorn, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and uh, and you know we're not we're not raising unicorns on our farm. You know we're trying to grow something that's really difficult, and it's not a coincidence that nobody grows it. Right. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. So, do you think is that why? rice disappeared from the Carolinas is it you know after the you know emancipation of the slaves they all kind of you know dispersed and disappeared and well, they obviously was, left the coast and and is that kind of what I think happened that was primarily think? what occurred but then you also had think about what was going on at the turn of the 19th century right you had this little thing called industrial revolution that was right on top of us right mm-hmm. you had the rise of the machines 1.0 Mm-hmm. Not AI like we talk about today. This was truly right. the rise of the machines, right? Yeah. That instead of you know uh, forty acres and a mule or a, a mule and a plow to do your work, suddenly there was these things, you know, called tractors and mechanical harvesters that ultimately became combines and excavators. To hey, this soil is very mucky. Well, okay, let's run a drag line through it. Let's do. Let's dig a ditch that drains it. Let's stop that. Mm-hmm. And so. Ultimately, 
you know, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? Mm-hmm. In a, in a, when there was no labor and industrial revolution kind of occurred at the same time that they became very proficient. The farming world got very proficient very quickly at how to farm with way less labor than ever thought possible mm-hmm. by the replacement of the labor with machinery. And yep. so there was a lots, there was lots of, at the time, you know, there was the idea of mechanically harvesting rice was just fantasy land. That was not going to happen. Right. Yeah. But that, that so kind they, of engineering hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Right. And so it became, well, let's grow corn, let's grow beans, let's grow these other things that the technology has caught up with mm-hmm. that we can harvest mechanically. And so it, it really kind of all of that cumulatively kind of spelled the end for it. Gotcha. And, you know, today, the reason a lot of people ask me, you know, why don't, uh, why don't they grow Carolina gold in Arkansas? Why don't they grow it in Missouri? And I'm like, well, they probably could. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it would work for them because the soil type is completely different, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't from there, right? Mm-hmm. That's not how it, you know, but kind of natural selection has said that's not going to be what works well for them. Right. Probably not going to work well for them. And frankly, they're going to not have the harvest yields that they're comfortable with mm-hmm. because you know, commodity rice has, has gone down this path of profitability and yield performance Right, that it's completely been a diverging road from the culinary values and trying to maintain the authenticity of this heirloom grain. That they just they are not on the same trajectory right now. Can you give me an idea of the difference between a commodity rice yield versus an heirloom variety like the Carolina Gold that you guys are doing? Like, sure, it's like four or five times. Okay, so you guys yeah. are yeah, it's so you you guys are getting about four times less yield off of your. That's your, for the same for basically the same cost right yeah that's the thing yeah. that shakes everybody up this uh-huh. is you know it doesn't cost us much less frankly it doesn't cost us less at all to grow an acre in pamlico county as it does in stuttgart arkansas okay yeah at the end of the day yeah. you still got diesel fuel and you still got fertilizer and seed yep. and people to do it and yep all the above yeah, it's the same uh, formula it's just uh the just out the, the outcome input, is the output that the outcome is way less and so yeah. and and with it becomes you know a big problem for the commodity world is and, and this is probably a whole nother podcast is you know that the whole world has gone down the walmart path mm-hmm. yes okay bigger equals better right which is not true right Correct. bigger just means bigger and right. less control. Yep. So in our, in the, the main rice states, the majority of those rice farms are selling their rice to massive rice food. and and the producers right. group and these big buyers. They're buy, they're yeah. selling them to Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. And they are then converting that into all things that that are the rice consumers in the country. So the idea of going to Walmart and saying, hey, we have something that's very unique, has to be cared for totally different than the tractor trailers that are lined up down the road that are dumping off rice today. You can't handle it that way. It's got to be done this other way. They'll just laugh you out of the building. Yeah. They're like, nope, not doing that. <laughs> not doing that. That makes yeah. no sense. It doesn't matter if it's better. It doesn't matter if uh, you can command a higher price for it because of 
the inputs and the output quality and all that, they just, they will not work and they're just not interested in doing it. Yeah. From my perspective, the biggest problem with that bigger model is the lack of flavor. It's just, it just does not taste like anything unless you put something in it. You have to cook it with. example I use, there's two examples. People, I had, I went to a, uh, I'm going to leave the group out because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I went to a group and they asked me at the end of a presentation, they said, is getting your rice enriched a possibility? And I said, absolutely not. Yeah. We're not doing that. I said, the fact that you have to buy rice that has been re-enriched should tell you all you need to know about the rice you're buying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you have to add something to it to, to get make... it back to tasting like rice should. <laughs> yeah. That's hello. Not... That's the yeah. problem. Right. That's not good. You no, know what I mean? I do. And you know that you know, if I tell people this, kids, I, this is my example I use with kids a lot of times. If I took your driver's license and I made a photocopy of it. And then I made a photocopy to photocopy and a photocopy to photocopy. And I do that about 30 times. Mm-hmm. By the time it's all done, yeah, I can probably see your face and I can make it, make out some of the words, but a six is going to start to look like an eight and yep. all these edges yep. are going to get fuzzy, right? Yep. Well, that is rice farming in the Americas. Yeah. That it has been copied and copied and copied and copied so many times and modified for convenience, for profitability, for yield, yep. that you lost track of what it is even supposed to taste like. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you don't know, right? right. All you know right. is what you have been presented. Yep. And a lot of people, when they try a rice, that's the first thing they say is, wow, what did you add to this? You must, oh, I taste the butter. How much butter did you add? Because I tasted how, right. how much salt or pepper did you add? And you go, no, that's yeah, just water and rice. And this is what it is. Yep. This is what it should taste like. Mm-hmm. I think that's the magic of it, man. Is like, I remember the first time I had Carolina Gold was from Anson Mills. You that's know, right. it was. It was. have been amazing. Yeah, been amazing I mean, to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm gonna put some. I'll, I'm gonna put some contact stuff in the, the the show notes for this too so people can like if they if they're interested they can start digging in and, and reading up on, yeah, on a great. bunch of this stuff but um the answer mills was the first time i tried carolina gold right mm-hmm. i think i was working in new york city at one of these like four-star restaurants that's where i cut my teeth you know like one of these best restaurants yeah. they got a bag in and we tried it and i was like my mind was blown i was like whoa i was like this is it's a like game a changer. product it's, it's not even the same product it's- yeah And it opened up all these doors where it's like, oh man, like what can we do now? Right? Like we're starting with something that has all this, it has all this starch. It has all this flavor. It has all this stuff that other rice doesn't have. And it opens up this whole world of things that we can do with it because it's a completely different product. I mean, it blew my mind. It's like we talked about earlier in the podcast, right? The starting point matters. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big time, 100%. Right? You can't make Carolina Gold flavor at the end with seasonings and other stuff you're going to add. Right. Yeah, no, you can't. It's all about where you start. Yep. Do you know, do you have any information about the comparison from a nutritional value between a commodity rice and and the rice you guys are doing? I get asked that from time to time. I need to, uh, I don't have it right in front of me. Okay. Um, What I can tell you, you know, is that our starch content is, we control our starch content 
or monitor our starch content very closely, mm -hmm. right? And that has a lot to do with our what we some decisions we make in the meal. Mm -hmm. We went through that a little bit when you were there about yep. controlling color and the opacity of the rice is yep. very important. Again, that's an assumption we make is that is critical. Yeah. So that you can get that risotto to be just so that you can get, you know, whatever dish you might just peel off or whatever you may be trying to do, that you can get it to be just so mm -hmm. uh, by controlling those parameters. Right. You know, we, we're, we're starting to look at arsenic content very closely. That's becoming a big topic or something that people are starting to ask about. Tell, tell me about that. I'm not, I don't, is well, that you naturally know, arsenic, occurring? Arsenic is naturally occurring. And yep. You know, like everything, everything in moderation is okay. Too much arsenic is certainly bad. Right. It's um, poison, essentially. It's poison. That's bad, but it's <laughs> natural and it's it's in everything that grows. Right. Yeah. Um, if anybody tells you it's not, then they're they're not they're not doing it right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's it's natural, it's naturally occurring. It's something that we're paying attention to. There's not a uh, arsenic certification or anything per se yet. There's right. something I see, I think you're gonna see. In the future, the FDA has kind of come in and set out to say 100 parts per billion mm -hmm. is probably a anything below that is certainly a safe threshold for infants mm -hmm. because that's the big consumer of rice worldwide. Oh, really? You know, okay. Yeah. Infant baby food and all that. And that's something that we have to be really careful about is our, you know, the, yep. the future of our species. Yep. So, you know, that, and so when we've done all of our testing year over year, we have fell underneath that that hundred parts per billion mm -hmm. we're well underneath it in fact and everybody said oh wow that's great you should tout that more and i'm like that you know that is a straight bill nye the science guy type scientific yeah. argument you know what i mean yeah um, and also just, like you don't want to label arsenic on your no, like yeah i, I don't know, want to associate anything that's like perceived yeah. as negative on right i don't yeah. i don't know enough about it to be able to for like a from a nutrition expert to be able to to speak yeah. About it, other than I can say that we're watching it, trying to set the stage for if it ever does become something we need to talk more intelligently about. I need to have some years of data. Yep. That's another great thing I want to probably highlight is, you know, we have samples of our grain every year we've grown it. Mm -hmm. And we keep that for historical purposes because back to you don't know what you don't know. We have the ability, if we have to, to look in the rearview mirror all the way to our origins and say, Hey, let's go do some testing. Now we're yep. looking at this differently. What do, what didn't we even think weren't smart enough to ask then let's go ask that question now. Yep. What can we learn from this? Right. So is that something that you guys decided to do or was that and recommended to, to you? Do. No, something we decided to just said, Hey, scientific standpoint, it was important for us back to that genuine elements yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. um, that I, you know, I, if you called me and said, Hey, Tommy, you know, my, my risotto isn't working out this year. Like it did last year. Hey man, yeah. come on down. Let's look at some data. Let's look yeah. at the last year's crop. Let's look at the last five years. Why did that look? This mm -hmm. is what the data progression has been. And, uh, it at least makes it a starting point for an intelligent discussion instead of this turf mindset of yeah. I'm doing everything right. It must be something you're doing. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, at least we can kind of add some fact to it and just try to really, understand this at a higher level is what we're trying to do where where do you guys do you guys have a specific place that you keep that top secret we keep it there at our mill right we have a quality control lab i didn't kind of showcase that 
I, um, I poked my head in there. I was nosy. Yeah, I was like, yeah, What's a little light room. There? Yes, super light, super bright lights, and yeah, uh, that's where and we, a miniature we got, mill. There's uh, like a little mini it's mill. A miniature mill. That's exactly right. That's our yeah. research mill. Okay, and uh, that's where we can answer some questions quickly about yeah. a, a particular cut of ground, something that looks different, something mm -hmm. that for one reason or another, a, a crop that performed in a different manner. We have the ability to go do small batch testing and and try to understand. You know, before we put the combine out there, what should we expect? What do we anticipate? And then a lot for us to do some heady research. You know, North Carolina State, uh, you got a chance to meet Dr. Angela Post. Yeah, uh, she was great. Her team, oh, my gosh. They are magic. They are, mm -hmm. they are my secret weapon on the scientific side of this. They come to it from a position of not arrogance and this unimpeachable truth because none of us alive do. Right on the on Carolina gold and these heirloom grains that we're trying to grow, but they come to it with the idea of, Hey, let's go find it out together. Let's, you know, here's some new technology we've got. This is what I think we're going to find. Let's go do some experiments and try to figure this out together. But they have been wonderful to us. And, and so we're, we're constantly doing trials using our test mill, looking at some of our old grains, trying to understand, you know, like our first crop, we we harvested it too dry. For example, our we had a tremendous amount of midlands mm -hmm. uh, because we just didn't know what we didn't know, right? Yep. And uh, so we've learned some of that stuff along the way, and having that historical reference, I think, is going to be really important for us moving forward. Yeah. Is there any? Have you have you been surprised by? anything on the very end side of this, right? Like from the consumer side, like chefs wanting product and right. buying, like, has, have you, have you ever got like a little hoodwink there where you were like, man, we thought everybody, like you mentioned the Midlands. I know most chefs that I run with, we love the Midlands. Yeah. It's we're been all about really, it. All, all the broken really bad stuff. We're like, give us that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been all of it. I mean, we're not foodies. So I think all of this has been a miracle to us. Right. I mean, with the first trade show we ever went to was this Flavors of the Carolina, this big got to be NC event. And I, I tell people this all the time. Mm -hmm. And we went into it really with, we all gather around Al and myself and, and our guys, we gather around and we're like, all right, guys, <laughs> our real goal is to find one sucker. If we can find one person that will buy our rice. Yeah, we're good. At least we'll make back what we spent to have this trade booth, this trade show booth, right? <laughs> right. That at least we can get, be, be, you know, back to the goal was to lose less rather than to make money. Right. Uh, you probably hear Walter breathing. So if it sounds like Darth Vader, that's the <laughs> Irish setter that joined us again. <laughs> it was, I don't know. It was, it's, it's, it's really, it's really been surprising how well people have trusted us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's something I'm proud of because that tells me that we're probably doing it right. Because I mm -hmm. think most people are genuinely good at judging bullshit mm -hmm. and pulling it out, I think, for the most part. Yep. So I, I think that's been something that's been really uh, having guys like you and mm -hmm. Keith Rhodes and, you know, shout out to Ricky Moore, just won the James Beard Award. I mean, yeah. you have when you have guys like that, that are, uh, you know, that, that like you guys that, that say, yeah, this is legit. This is the mm -hmm. real deal. Let's, let's get behind these guys because they're doing something special here in our state and in our community. That's really humbling. And that's not lost on us. Yeah. That's yeah. probably been the biggest surprise is, is that. Mm -hmm. And it, and 
frankly, the culinary world, you guys have embraced us. Maybe it's because we're not viewed as a threat because clearly we're not. You know, it's not like <laughs> no. we're trying to steal your craft or anything. No. Uh, but um, it, that's been really cool. It's been yeah. really cool how well we've been accepted into that community. Yeah. Uh, I think I think with the with chefs, particularly in like, you know, restaurant people, like, you know, as far as the way I look at it, and I think a lot of the people that I, that I you know, hang with look at it, is like you guys are bringing an ingredient to the table, a raw product of quality right that elevates our game you guys help us look good right <laughs> you know what i mean like if we can right. get a good product out there that's unique that is special that is you know has this kind of care and stuff taken for it it makes our job easier first off we'd have to do less to it to make it special but it makes us look good to have these kind of like these kind of really cool products in our toolbox so well you know and everybody's a got a story of where their steak comes from or where the hamburger or the free range chicken from that's mm -hmm. only harvested on tuesdays on a mountaintop or whatever you know what i mean and so you know you know damn you know let's get some grains and let's talk about that right let's yeah. let's, let's let's make the grains matter more as well put it from being an afterthought or something on the side of the plate, let's pull that more towards the center of the plate. Yep. And give it some, uh, some respect as to where it's come from and why it's important. Uh, not only from a culinary and nutritional standpoint, but from a region and a uh, historical basis for our state. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. So are you guys going to do any other grain? Do you guys do other grains out there? We do. Yeah. We, so we do. Uh, so we get Carolina gold is obviously our big gorilla. Mm -hmm. And then we we're really proud to be the only farm that commercially grew uh Santee long grain last year, yep. the long grain cousin of the Carolina gold. So we we've really enjoyed being the first guys to do that mm -hmm. kind of being first to the market. Of course, the first man through the wall always gets bloody. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> right. But that's, that, that was really cool to be part of that, working with the U.S. Department of Agriculture and them mm -hmm. helping us uh, figure out how to do that. We do a lot of seashore black rye, mm -hmm. which is a very dark, and that is a true land race rye. Okay. So it's from here. Nobody yeah. brought it here. It's natural. Yep. And uh, so we found a way to cultivate that. And just we're starting to see that show up in a lot of distilleries and uh, malting type operations for the beer and distilling world. Uh, starting to see some bakers start to try it out to, to replace like your Nordic rise and your darker rye breads mm -hmm. with a true land race rye that's from North Carolina that's is, awesome. uh, is really cool. Uh, we had our best, we just had our seashore black rye harvest had our best harvest ever. Nice. Um, uh, so I'm really excited about that. And, uh, you know, are those, are those all available in the market? Or are they, they kind of they are. We don't right now we're they they're they're it's very much available, especially the rye. Um, it's really just a call to us and talking about what you want to use it for. We're we're kind of protective of it right now. It's right. not like something you go to e-commerce and buy a five-pound bag of the rye. We're wanting to understand a lot more of that connectivity that we all you and I have talked about a lot. That connectivity. Yep. We want to understand where it's going, why it's going there, what you're going to use it for. Right. Um, so that we can support you because this is a, this is a thousand mile journey and we're on like the first hundred feet. It feels, you know, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, we're trying to understand that a bit more, but yeah, it's been really cool. And really we're, we're trying to challenge ourselves to grow anything that's heirloom antiquity or difficult to grow. We want to be that. We want to be those guys in North Carolina, you know? Right. We, Cause at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you got to make a million bucks on it. You got to be able to shoot some ducks. That's exactly right. It's uh, <laughs> and that's the first thing we're going to research is would ducks eat what's left over? And if the yeah, answer is no, right. boy, Man. I don't know. Yeah, don't that's know. not going to work. That's not going to work for us. Tough sale. Tough sale. <laughs> so, so is that? So that's the thing, right? Is like you guys harvest the the top of the rice, right? That's right. The beautiful part, and then you leave the stalks or whatever in the field, and that's what the the you yeah, know, wildlife comes to. Yeah, it's called a ratoon crop. R A T O O N is how you spell it, and it's it's called a volunteer crop. Basically, it's the it's the the bottom of the plant. You know, you got mm-hmm. the top of the plant that everybody thinks about when they see rice. You got these other shoots or uh, like uh, tillers, or as grass. we call them, yeah. tillers that are underneath that actually produces rice, and it's okay. about thirty percent of what you would get for your what's called head row production, your top row. Okay, so there's actually rice kernel oh, up, yes. all there's up in there. It's amount of rice. That's right. And yeah. so the ducks will go in and we'll roll that down, and we'll try to make it super easy for them to get to it, and they'll yeah. swim around and do duck things and. Occasionally you flooded again? Oh yeah, we flooded again. So that's the deal. You guys roll that stuff down, flood it up, and then it's all floating in there, and the ducks are like in heaven. It's like they're, they're yeah. it's just like Walter. They're just trying to live their best duck yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> Until we meet them one random morning. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're really disappointed with their choices yeah. and the well, one, led them there. One bad day, right? One it's, bad day. That's, that's right. Wow. It must okay. be good because every now and then you'll see them. Some will still come back in. They'll fly around after getting their shot tail feathers shot off, and they'll be like, "No, I'm yeah. coming back." I don't yeah, care. that rice is so good, man. It's, I'm going it's back. so good. It's <laughs> worth it. I'm going to try one more time. That's awesome. That's so great. Um, let's see what else do I have for you. I mean, we're creeping up on an hour. I don't want to keep you. I think we're just sure. over an hour. Um, yeah, I mean, have you guys had any supply? Uh, how's the supply for you? Like harvest been versus demand? Are you guys? You guys sell out all your your we crop. We sell out every year. We sell yep. out every year. Um, How long does I that like take? To... How long does it take um, for you guys? Well, to sell so out? for us, for us, you know, we're we're coming into the final days of selling our 2021 crop right now. Gotcha. We'll be largely we'll largely be sold out. We're right down to it. We'll be sold out here in August. Okay. For sure. And then good and news then you... is we harvest mid August, and by the time we've got it back in the shelves, is about middle of September. Awesome. So, so you're um, right on, you're right on point right now with kind of like the demand exactly. and everything. Do yep. you have, are you guys all on? I'm sure you're on top of the demand and supply and like grow, like, do we need to, we are not, we're, we are, no. a, we are a dumpster fire. We, we <laughs> are, we are a, a veritable train wreck. I feel like we have a lot more demand than we have supply. Okay. And trying to grow more acreage, more, 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 tons more pounds of rice is what al and i have tasked ourselves that's that's on our to-do list okay and our uh, sales group they they love that and our and in their eyes we're failures we are yeah just, they're just like guys <laughs> you've got this product and we got way yes. too many buyers you get way too many buyers and you idiots can't seem to get your shit together to pull this off you know right. and they're not getting it they're not getting it this year 
Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for us, you know, we, we, we kind of experienced that when we went to that NRA food show and it was yep. like, we're, we're, we're doomed. We're right. never going to make it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, which is great. That's, that's yeah. been really humbling for sure. And uh, so we're really working hard to try to increase uh, supply so that we can get it all the way across the country. You know, our first yeah. goal is to be served and sold in every county in North Carolina. Have you guys achieved that yet? Do you think? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think we're probably 50, 60% of the way there. Okay. Heidi's actually helping me try to figure that out because yeah. we lose some associativity with the end chefs um, because we do have some broadline distributors and they get a little quirky about telling us who they're selling it to. They, they think mm -hmm. we're going to take their business, I think. Right. But that's okay. We want to have our backyard right before we try to go out outside of that. But we are starting to move across the country now. We're, you know, we're, we're in Philadelphia and we're in Chicago and Colorado and uh, California. We're in Napa Valley now and Manhattan. And we're trying to get our fingers out into all the states. Yeah. And then uh, even got some interest internationally. Uh, we're, we're probably cool. here in the next uh, month or so going to be seeing our first international shipments that's on a wholesale environment. We've oh, done wow. some retail internationally. Mm -hmm. We've not done any wholesale, you know, where it's going to be in commercial yep. kitchens. So that's really cool to think that people think that what we're doing is significant enough to, to send import it. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So that's a quality problem, right? You got to figure a out. Great problem. It yeah. is great. And, uh, you know, we're trying to roll out rice flour this year. That's a big thing we're pushing on. I'm looking forward to that. Actually, yep. that's a product. Uh, when you mentioned that, I was like, uh, I can't, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really, I'm, I've got, we got it in the crosshairs right now, you know, by this, uh, end of the third quarter, you know, as we come into the fall, we're going to be rolling out rice flour and all that to everybody. And that's going to be really neat, uh, to see where that goes. Last thing I'm going to ask you about, and then you can wrap it up yep. however you like is the sustainability element of your operation. Um, we kind of touched on you guys controlling it from start to finish, but what I really admired also was like all the byproduct, right? Like the brand, the um, parts that you get from the milling process and how you're you know, selling that either to farmers or whatever, it's super interesting. And then also looking into the whole additive uh, or the, you know, using it as a as an additive for the, the soil, maybe the, um, that's right. That's can right. you, can you so, talk about that just for a second? Absolutely. So I think you set it up. I think you've teed it up very well, Jamie is, you know, just like when we were making the tour, how excited we were when we saw the turkeys, right. Right. That everything has to lead to the next thing has to lead to the next thing. And all of this circles into this whole ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. No different than the, the, the why behind we flood for the ducks and they then come in and they've got habitat wintering habitat that, that helps them as we lead to the future generations of ducks that we've not even seen or thought about, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the same is true when we start talking about how the products that we're producing, right? That we we want to make sure, you know, so we, we obviously sell the whole grain, right? That mm -hmm. ends up on the plate. Uh, the Midlands, we've cultivated a market there. Oh, we have to call them Midlands. We can't call them broken rice because nobody wants to buy something broken. Right. That's yeah. tough marketing. That's a tough marketing gig. <laughs> So, so we call them Midlands, you know, or Brewer's Rice. You'll see it in a lot of historical texts called Brewer's Rice because they used to make rice out of the broken rice there back in the day. Mm -hmm. So we, we, the Midlands are doing well. And then the brand that's removed, 
we've had great success of getting the brand and working because that's where the nutrition is, if we're honest, right? The, right. the primary nutritional elements are in what you remove from brown rice to white rice, mm -hmm. all of your antioxidants and all your nutrients and minerals are largely on that brand or that endosperm. Well, the cattle farming world just goes crazy over it. Our man, Rand Lou Derry, mm -hmm. Randy Lewis and yeah. Taylor up there, up there in snow camp or Eli Whitney is technically where they're from. Okay. Uh, their chocolate, their chocolate milk is like off the chain. Yeah, it's, it's, it's next level. It's yeah. similar. If you ever think you've had chocolate milk, you've not had chocolate milk until you've you haven't. No. Nope. And um, yeah. so Randy, you know, he's, you know, we're proud to say that some of our rice is in, in their, in all that delicious chocolate milk, right? That mm -hmm. uh, they'll take a lot of that brand and they'll, they'll use that as supplemental feed because it's an all natural feed uh, that they'll use with the cattle. And then even the deer hunters are starting to use it because they're finding, you know, the deer, just go and the wildlife goes crazy for it yeah that that once they find it it's 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 really on you know yeah. the hole that we remove in the process we're starting to we're looking at a couple of things there we got groups that are trying to pelletize it where they're mm -hmm. basically turning the balls and using that to because it's so high in natural fiber trying to blend that with some feeds mm -hmm. uh, for chickens and cattle and things of that nature um, we're also trying, we're working, not trying, we are working with groups that are using it as soil amendments where they blend it with soil, uh, because the rice hull is naturally disease free. It's good at preventing weeds. Um, it does a good job like an earthworm does at creating, not letting the soil get so compact on itself. Yeah. It keeping it aerated and that's right. Aerated and, yeah. and cooling of the, the root ball and, and things yeah. that the plant folks are really into, yep. uh, it's gained a lot of popularity with that. And and really, uh, to try to go away from peat moss mm -hmm. is really where the plant industry is going. Because peat moss is very much not a sustainable process. We're right. mining that from our forests, leading to greenhouse gas emission spikes and all of this stuff that's that's bad. Uh, so really, I, in our lifetime, we won't peat moss will be a thing of the past. Yeah, uh, they're finding solutions to that. I think is has been really good, and we're even doing some shameless stuff ourselves, where we're working with our, our friends up at NC State, trying to ask the question if we do what's called a charring process or a biochar, yeah, where we effectively kind of fire it but don't combust it. If you think mm -hmm. of it that way, yeah, turn it into like mesquite charcoal. Um, is there an element that's valuable to us to actually putting this back on our ground to try to reduce our uh, nitrogen requirement and fertilization requirement? Does that do something for us? And uh, and so that's something we're still trying to explore. Cool. You know, we're even working with some crazy material science folks to see if there's an, a prospect that we could use the chafe or the stalk that's in the field mm -hmm. uh, for organic clothing and shoes and yeah. stuff yeah, right fibers and stuff the like fibers that that's right themselves is there is there yeah. because the rice is so damn strong um yeah. that yeah. stalk is really significant uh when it's when it's done its thing in terms of growth mode and all that it's really some impressive stuff so there may be some opportunity there that we could see coming in the future and uh who knows cool. who knows Awesome, man. I, I really admire that you guys are like going like 
all in whole hog on this thing and really trying to make it a completely sustainable thing um, and kind of bringing back something that with such historic significance that you just don't see nobody wants to commit to doing it you know like oh yeah i mean it's, just, wants to- it's tough right it's just it's a it's not an easy way the easy way is rarely the 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 best way right like yeah. we talked about earlier and mm-hmm. uh it's so damn difficult to do that it scares off most sane people right and um and as and, and al has said this a number of times that if you're going to do this if you're going to do the farming if you're going to if you're not only if you're going to be a farmer but if you're going to be a farmer in a really niche industry where you've got to create it all mm-hmm. from marketing plan to seed allocation to what you're going to do with your byproducts if you're going to do it all um you've really got to do it for something other than the love of money mm-hmm right it's got totally. to be it's got to be about chasing the dream and chasing it's got to be about chasing something larger than a uh, a commodity which would be cash yep. right it's got to be about chasing this dream and this legacy that we're trying to put together for the future generations so that hopefully it's easier on them when when they come along and try to either keep it going or have the courage and the motivation to try to do something similar um, that right. hopefully we can be an example of if those idiots can do it, then, I know I'm yeah. smarter than them, then we probably can do this too. <laughs> I love it, man. I love what you guys are doing. Um, is there anything else that you need to add for, uh, for our listeners? No, I think the biggest thing is just really appreciate the support and the trust for us to, to bring this to your table. Yeah, man. That's not something lost on us. And, uh, and we know that that's a big part of it. And, uh, we're thankful to be native North Carolinians and thankful to be, uh, to be part of this. I'm going to use, I'm going to use some of your rice for a dish that I've worked out. It's become kind of one of my staple dessert go-tos. Yeah. Um, I've got a tasting menu coming up next Monday, a week from today. Awesome. And I'm doing this. Um, I call it my Carolina gold rice mousse. And I basically, Ooh. I turn it into like, so I take the rice and I puree I, uh, it down somehow a little bit. Yeah. I leave some of it whole and I puree some of it down and I, and I whip it into this like moussey, airy deliciousness and like the, you know, just the starchiness of the rice. Think of it as like an aerated rice pudding. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, right. It's, it's awesome, dude. So yeah, I, I have to hit you up for some of that. Hit me up. Well, what I'll do is I'm, I'm actually going to attach the recipe to the show notes to this episode. So the people that listen or anybody can go grab it and play with it at home. Perfect. Awesome. Tommy, man, thanks for your time, dude. You're always awesome to talk to. Um, I hope that I can come up there and visit. Look forward to seeing you come down and visit us again. Definitely. All right. Take care, man. Thank you. Bye-bye.